Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, please find in yours Matthew chapter 3, the third chapter in Matthew's gospel. Last week, we turned the page in our verse-by-verse series through the book of the Revelation to Revelation 20. And with that turn came our very first lesson on the Millennial Kingdom. After our first lesson, I received an email on Monday morning. It began this way. I'm a little rusty here, but I assume if they will have the kingdom restored, they had it in the past. Was that pre-judges? What were the characteristics of the kingdom? What changed when it was lost? How will the new one compare to the old one? Maybe that's a whole sermon. Just thinking about yesterday's lesson, also got on topic with someone yesterday, which was good. Five questions in that email, and we shall answer all of them and many, many more in this series. This morning, however, I only have one point, only one objective, and it has nothing to do with those five questions and everything to do with how that email ended. I got on topic with someone yesterday, which was good. Do you know what would be good for all of us? If we all got on topic. And here is why I say that. I think most of us know Christian people must share the gospel. What most of us might not know is we need to share the millennial kingdom alongside that gospel. And with your Bibles open to chapter, or Matthew chapter 3, allow me to introduce us to the very first sermon ever preached in the New Testament. Uh, John the Baptist is preaching, and he preaches Matthew 3, verse 2, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. A repent is a gospel word. Mark 1 and 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Notice how the gospel and the kingdom of God come together. The second sermon ever preached was from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Turn to Matthew 4, and I'd like to direct your attention to verse 17. Matthew 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Notice, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Both John the Baptist and Jesus preached repent, followed by the word because. Repent because. Repent because. Because of what? The kingdom is near. Mark's gospel said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. I turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is often described as the Sermon on the Mount. I would argue it is the gospel on the mount. Now look at verses 1 through 3. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Watch this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the word poor is from a verb meaning to shrink, cower, or cringe, as beggars often did in that day. 
Luke 16, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. You could just see that this poor man named Lazarus was begging for those crumbs. I think it is critically important that we understand Jesus is not advocating material poverty. Let, let me say that again. Jesus is not advocating material poverty. If he was, he would be contradicting one other key part of this very sermon. Now look at Matthew 5 and 42. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, I want you to think about this. If, if every one of us is to become materially poor in order to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven, so poor that we become beggars, how will anyone be able to borrow from us? I think it's always worth noting no New Testament believer is condemned for being rich. Nicodemus, the Roman centurion of Luke 7, Joseph of Arimathea, and Philemon were all wealthy and all faithful followers of Jesus. So clearly the word poor in verse 3 has nothing to do with wealth. To be poor in spirit then means what? spiritually poor, not materially. To be poor in what, verse 3? Spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize one's spiritual poverty apart from God when it comes to entrance into the kingdom. It is to see oneself as one really is, lost, hopeless, helpless, apart from Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can make the poor rich, spiritually speaking. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The implication of us becoming rich implies we were poor. He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We recognized our spiritual bankruptcy and our complete dependence on God for salvation. That's what it means to become poor. To say I can enter the kingdom by what I can do, what I can afford God, is the antithesis of what Jesus is saying. Now, the word antithesis simply means the opposite. Jesus is saying, if you want to gain entrance into the kingdom, see yourself through the lens of Jesus's eyes. See yourself as poor in spirit. We're not talking money. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what do they receive? Verse 3, the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Now then, do you know what we just did? We just placed a very important element of the gospel message alongside the millennial kingdom. What important element? We have nothing to offer God to gain favor with God. There's nothing we can do, good, bad, or indifferent, to gain entrance into the kingdom. We must come to Jesus. We must come to God recognizing we are spiritually bankrupt. We are poor when the issue is the kingdom. Now, this is alluded to in Matthew chapter 19, so turn there with me. Matthew 19, verse 14. But Jesus said, let the children alone. And do not hinder them from coming to me. 
for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, the word for children here is the word pideon. It means a very little child. We might call them a toddler. Now then, did Jesus say this for the sake of crawling babies, toddlers, so that they would know how to gain entrance into the kingdom? Not at all. Now look at verses 13 through 14. Then some children were bought, brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This was meant for the disciples. They needed to learn something. The disciples don't rebuke their parents. I just rebuked you, Jesus said. The disciples needed to be rebuked, and they needed to know something. And what is that? If adults like you, disciples, want the kingdom, ask yourself, what can a toddler do? Can they obey any of the commandments? Now, why did I bring up the commandments? Well, look at Matthew 19, verses 16 through 25. I love one in one chapter. We don't have to turn very far to ask a question and answer a question. And someone came to him, verse 16, and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? What can a crawling toddler do in the good column? Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? But Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, notice this is for the disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? Do you see what we're talking about in Matthew 19? Who can be saved? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a toddler who could do absolutely nothing, religiously speaking, in the commandment category than an adult who thinks they could could do enough, religiously speaking. The rich young ruler came to Jesus seeking eternal life, but the barriers of his self-centeredness and self-righteousness stood in the way of his receiving it. Look, I, I do not doubt for one minute that the rich young ruler did not sincerely want eternal life. But what we shall learn is he wanted his riches and his self-righteousness even more. How many times do you bring the gospel of grace to someone who believes in a gospel of works and they just cannot get over the fact that how good they are, how many commandments they've obeyed, and they leave you refusing to accept the fact they're not good enough? Now, some have been confused by this text, thinking it appears to say that the rich have no hope of salvation. Not on your life. We've already pointed out 
Nicodemus, the Roman centurion of Luke 7, Joseph of Arimathea and Philemon were all wealthy and faithful. So what did this rich person need to know that every person needs to know? Well, first, speaking to the rich, Paul told Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Do you know what rich people always need a reminder of? However rich they are, it's all because of God. They should also know about the uncertainty of riches. Can't take it with you. But when you die, you, you, you can't take it with you. It is far more difficult for the rich person to be detached from this world and the pleasures of life because they forget who gave them the ability to make it. The rich young ruler was not denouncing Christ, not at all. He was a seeker of eternal life, and I believe him to be honest in seeking it. But the flaw was that he thought he was good enough when it came to the commandments. He needs to become like a toddler when the subject is entrance into the kingdom. What can a toddler do when it comes to the commandments? Because he said, I have kept the commandments. Do you know what Jesus knew that he did not know? No. Matthew 6 and 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many times have I said the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart? Jesus said, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, why did Jesus command him to do this? John 2 and 24 and 25, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus commanded him to go and sell all he had and give it to the poor. Is Jesus teaching us the way into the kingdom is to give up all? No. He is teaching us. He knows the commandment we won't obey. James 2 and 10, for whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. 613 laws in the whole law. And the rich young ruler who thought he was batting a thousand is now about to learn he's really batting zero when Jesus is the person evaluating us. You see, there is a gospel lesson here for those who think they can get into heaven by doing good. What lesson? Jesus knows the good we won't do. Jesus knows that one law we won't obey, and he will command us to do it. Why? So we will give up on this silly notion we can gain the kingdom by anything we can do. And I keep bringing us back to be like a toddler who can't do anything. The text says in verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He clearly loved his money more than eternal life, didn't he? Jesus would say, Matthew 16 and 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This man clearly would not give up everything to gain everything. Do you know what the self-righteous religious person must give up? They must see 
how poor they are. Their pride. Give up their pride and, and see yourself as poor. Even rich people need to see themselves as poor. I'm not good enough. Only God is good. It is so important that we recognize what the law is for. Jesus used the law with this man, didn't he? Verse 17, but if you wish to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 5 that the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. What are we learning? An element of the gospel. Use the law to help people see themselves through the lens of God. The purpose of the law is to demonstrate we are law breakers in need of grace to be saved. Jesus preached the kingdom, didn't he? Luke 4 and 43, when the crowds tried to keep Jesus from going to other cities, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Notice he is not preaching the gospel right here, but the kingdom. Jesus preached both, and so should we. John the Baptist did it in Matthew 3. Jesus did it in Matthew 4 and 5. Jesus is doing it again in Matthew 19. Do you know who he, did you know he who was sent to preach the kingdom sent others to do likewise? In Luke 10, when he sent out the 70, twice he told them to declare that the kingdom of God has come near you. Paul preached the kingdom. Acts 19 and 8, then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of God. Why aren't these people just talking about the gospel? Why are they bringing the gospel and the kingdom together? Incidentally, Paul preached the kingdom for three months. Look, if Paul needed three months, uh, you will need to be patient with me. Now, every one of those examples, up to Acts 19, where I just read, Luke 10, Matthew 19, Matthew 5, Matthew 4, Matthew 3, every one of those examples where the gospel and the kingdom come together, we have the same people group in view, Jewish people, synagogues. What about witnessing to Gentiles? Should they hear about this? Acts 28, 28 through 31, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Listen to what? When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Listen, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Paul preached to the Gentiles both the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I call that? Bringing the gospel and the kingdom together. How about during the tribulation? Matthew 24 and 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So even during the tribulation, all the nations are going to hear the gospel in the kingdom. 
The Jewish people heard it in Matthew 3, Matthew 4, Matthew 5, Matthew 19. They heard it in Acts 19, and the Gentiles heard it in Acts 28. Peter preached it. Acts 3, 19 through 21, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come. Why should they repent? The times of refreshing. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that the times of refreshing is another reference to the blessings of the kingdom. What about the church? Do you remember what John wrote to the seven churches when we began our series over a year and a half ago in the Revelation? Revelation 1 and 6, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Priests in the Bible are a go-between, between between man and God, and we should see ourselves as a kingdom of priests that preach the gospel and the kingdom of God. You see, we are learning two truths simultaneously. Number one, how to share the gospel with different kinds of people. Number two, add the kingdom to our conversations. Here is where the emailer said something else that is noteworthy. I'm a little rusty here. Do you know what will be required for all of us to get the rust off? That we know a thing or two about the kingdom. That we have cemented in our evangelism the need to be gospel-driven and kingdom-driven. Repent because the kingdom. Jesus taught for 40 days on the kingdom in Acts 1 to his disciples and then sent them in that very chapter to go be his witnesses. And when they left him and they became his witnesses, what did they do? They preached the gospel and the kingdom. Paul taught on the kingdom for three months. Jesus taught on the kingdom for 40 days. I could never come anywhere near either of them in quality of teaching. And so you're going to need to be patient with me. Can you see why I chose none of the five questions from the emailer, but rather the end? Also got on topic with someone yesterday, which was good. Do you know what is good? Matthew 25 and 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you inherit the kingdom, you are blessed. That's good. When we preach the gospel, we're we're preaching the good news, and that's good. When, When we preach the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is good. And we ought to get on topic, because that is good. Well, I hope you've been blessed by the second lesson on the kingdom. The next time we're together, it'll be Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to talk about that. And then we'll return to our series on the kingdom. But for now, I pray that God will bless you, that God will bless his word to your ears, mind, and heart that you will be affected for good from what you learn. May God bless you, and may God bless his word.